Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out that you have all these relatives who have just now started to camp at your door. Thanksgiving is going to get really, really weird. Right. Thanks for joining us here at uh, Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about Bureau 13 and, uh, well, there's just a lot uh, in every edition of Bureau 13, there has been a list uh, of monsters, opponents, enemies, threats, whatever you want to say. And they've been listed in the game. And for you, the, the GM and the players, of course, to use in your adventures to make as many adventures as you can make from them. And, of course, bring in your own monsters and such. Okay. However... It seems to me that in the history of playing this game for a very, very long time, uh, usually people don't play most of the monsters, and I've all, uh, and I don't know why. I, I think maybe it's just you know everybody has different things that they resonate with, and so we wanted to talk about some of the other options you have that you may not have you know realized are really fun options uh, because uh, it's you maybe you don't get it you know maybe you don't see why this particular monster would be fun to play as an opponent or whatever uh or uh maybe it just isn't your cup of tea and that's fine if you don't want to play a monster you know because it isn't your cup of tea well then that's no i'm not we're not talking about that we're just talking about where you might not realize that uh or didn't know where to get the information on certain kinds of monsters that are out there, because you know not everybody's uh, uh, Google Foo is as good as other people's Google Foo. So, uh, so what we're going to do is, is that you know uh, I think we should probably first kind of eliminate the things we're not going to talk about, uh, for, and uh, basically anything that's already in the books as a option for players to be as characters. Okay, so none of the vampires, because, I mean, there's hundreds of different kinds of vampires you could be, but the game actually does list a number of them, and I know that in my games, you know, it's there's usually it doesn't go very long before someone says, hey, can I play a vampire? Or can I play a werewolf? Or can I play, well, very few people ever want to play zombies. Uh, it's it's uh, and I'm not going to promote that because, uh, I mean, I, I I don't think we need to talk about that because, I mean, I think the media has done a really good job of saying, here's like all the zillions of different kinds of zombies out there. Oh, and if yeah, you, I remember And that. if you're not sure, yeah, there's, uh, there's a zombie survival guide, World War Z, which is the literary version of it. Uh, there's All Flesh Must Be Eaten as a... Uh, as a game supplement and basically a reference. And of course, uh, just tons and tons and tons of movies. Yeah. The last decade was zombies. Yeah. It's played out. Yeah. I don't think it's played out, but I think the, I think maybe the audience is tired of it. (laughs) It doesn't need any love. Yeah. John, Jonathan, what was it? Bruce and I, what? 2014, I think it was at Gen Con. He and I made a list of all the zombie stuff we saw in the dealer's room at Gen Con. And that yeah. list was pretty beefy. It was, yeah. It was lengthy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just RPG stuff. I don't doubt it. I'd say, yeah, like, past decade has been yeah. zombies. The decade before mm-hmm. that yeah. was uh, well, vampires. Well, White Wolf from 2000, they basically came into play about 2000. And, and for a while there, they owned gaming pretty much mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. Um, everybody else basically said, okay, you guys go off there and, uh, 
you know, play the games that yeah. you use as a prelude to going off and having sex with each other. And well, no, uh, no, no, whoop. wait a minute. See, we we have a larp in our midst now. Let, let, let's keep the gloves up here. <laughs> I'm not saying that was part of the larp. I'm saying is that a lot of times it was a it was more of a dating met, uh, methodology than it was RPG. Okay. <laughs> so, I will say, having started playing LARPs during that time, it's not too inaccurate. (laughs) Thank, thank you, thank you for the. the Now again, this is a family show, so we're yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, right. So we don't need to talk about the vampires or the zombies or the werewolves. Um, You know. We don't really need to talk about ghosts because, in fact, is Tritac has put out a lot of material about ghosts, and it, there's even a, a supplement called Haunts, which does a pretty good job of ghosts. Um, and of course, if if you want to play different versions of them, again, White Wolf has different versions of them you could play uh, if you wanted to bring it into you know your your favorite system. Uh, the uh, so we really don't need to cover that either. So you know. So we're really talking more about the things that don't normally come up. Now, you might all think that <coughs> excuse me, that we don't need to talk about demons and devils because, you know, isn't there like a show called Lucifer and and Supernatural and all these other things, okay? Uh, and isn't there like, you know, pages of information about various hierarchies and such in the Tritac supplements, uh, if you go back to the 1992 edition, uh, because it, it uh, in the D20 uh, edition, we didn't really put that kind of stuff in there because we said, well, there's all these D20 source books you can go well, to. Well, yeah, yeah. Rather than, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I'm saying is that, you know, I, I would say that very rarely did I see GMs, including myself, putting uh, demons and devils in their games. And I blame uh, Mad uh, Mothers Against Dungeons and Dragons for this, because for a long time, you know, if you wanted people to come play your game, you couldn't get the parents mad, or you couldn't, you know, you didn't want to give them a, a something that they might have an issue with. So we, we kind of stayed away from that kind of stuff, okay? But I think now... I think now people can actually get into it and just see, you know, and, and see it for the mythology that it is, and you know, and, and play it just like you'd play any other monster, either you know, not as a player character, but as you know, something that you could be used in the game. Because there is a char- uh, one of the uh, enemies of the bureau that I think has really not gotten a whole lot of attention, uh, especially over the years has been Matthias Bolt and the Brotherhood of Darkness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy is... They're supposed to be a huge demon-summoning organization. All right? But we've rarely... I mean, in my games, at least, I don't, you, you guys can ch- uh, uh, chip in here. Have you used him at all? No, not since uh, my college days, but that's when I had a player character actually playing a fallen... or an, a demon trying to redeem himself back into heaven. But yeah, not since but then. But Trab, I mean, do you, have you run any adventures with Matthias? Have I? Um, no, more along the lines of I've just used him as, you know, I've had to explain who he was as part of the Bureau and how, like, for new players, okay, there was a Massacre of 77. Most people said that it was an attack by the Brotherhood of Darkness led by Matthias Bolton, you know, explaining who that is. Using him as an right. enemy... No, not that I can recall, no. Right. So, I mean, we did do an adventure where, um, you know, we said, you know, what happens when the Bureau goes, um, uh, you know, g- goes public. And one of the things we talked about was with Matthias Bolt actually decided to go head on with the Bureau and started summoning up all kinds of demons and things like that and to a, a demon army or whatever. You know, then the Bureau would would have to basically pull out the stops and, and with everything they can. Uh, because uh, unless your version of the Bureau has all these hidden cadres of priests that can do lots of, and lots of, uh, of summoning, not summoning, um, exorcism spells, um, once the demons get summoned to the earth, uh, they 
they can do a lot of damage before you know they go back. Um, and if they have a he- if they have a high minister there, they can hang around because he'll be an anchor for them to to do what you know whatever he wants to do. So in the uh, so in the nineteen ninety two edition, uh, page uh, ninety six. Okay, uh, and by the way, you can get the nineteen ninety two edition from TriTag Games. Uh, but it basically starts listing all these different demons that can be summoned by, you know, evil, uh, what they call Karsus. Uh, otherwise, some people would call them uh, summoners or sorcerers. But anyways, uh, we use the word Karsus. I'm not quite sure where it came from, but essentially it's someone who, you know, inscribes the circles and summons up monsters. Now, what you get here is you get a list of all these different demons. And underneath that, uh, on the right-hand side, they list all the areas that they have really, they have, you know, influence over. Things that they're good at. And so, you could just pick a monster, and so let's just pick, I don't know, Impos. I-P-O-S. He's got, uh, let's see, an R-A is uh, Reveal Present. Okay, and then he has R-B and Q-B. Uh, RB is uh, uh, Reveal Future. QB is uh, 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 Conjuration. And uh, I'm going to stop there because there's a couple more. All right. And uh, so what that means is, is that this, this and it says uh, that a creature that uh, of certain levels can cast spells at 90% accuracy or 75% accuracy, meaning that you know, in a situation where he needs to, first of all, things like reveal present, reveal future, that's him basically going and saying, hey, I know everything about you. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to reveal this about you. Uh, it's like, like you're worth the bureau. Uh, and I'll reveal this information to the world at large. And what are you going to do about it? And, or the past, uh, he attacks people primarily by in revealing their sins. So, uh, but he also can be used to find treasure. He can be used to uh, locate missing objects if you're trying to find artifacts. A lot of, you know, magicians will say, hey, I, there's this, this long lost book that if I get this book, it'll make me uber powerful. If it exists still, he knows, he can figure out, he can show how the book got lost, where it went to, and then he can, and then you can go get it. That the adventure then becomes the, the magician going and try, trying to out, find this thing, get it from somebody, and then the bureau is going to be trying to stop them from, get, him from getting his hands on it. So they're enablers. Primarily demons are enablers. They're not, uh, unless you get the really low, Hell spawn, and those guys are basically army. They're, uh, you know, their job is to, they're tough guys. You know, they, and they have all the immunities of being a, a supernatural creature. So you shoot bullets at them and it bounces off. But if you hit them with holy water or bureau rounds, which are, you know, blessed silver, wood combinations that are effective, uh, and uh, that's, you know, those, you, know you, you end up having a really hard time fighting them. And uh, I used them in one of my supplements, which was uh, uh, Stalking the Steel City, where there was a couple of demons that had nothing but big blades for arms, and they just would, like, slice through anything, and the, and the agents had to, they you know, they had a really hard time stopping them because they had to, you know, kill them, Either uh, you know with with rounds that would work, uh, but if they got into hand to hand combat with them, these things would lop them in half. So uh, we it's it's an easy way of getting these kinds of brute squads, and which can disappear pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah. You can bring them out as as evil bad guy mooks uh, if you want to. So there's a range. Demon has a range uh, all the way up to the masterminds, what they refer to as hell's ministers um and uh those guys are the ones that when you run into them they're like oh well you're not going to fight me i'm not going to fight you i have people to do that you know i have humans 
that I've hired to do that, you know, and things like that. And, and you're like, well, I'm going to get, take you out. And that's, you know, and, and then you're going to be gone. He says, really? What, yeah. Remember what happened when the high minister of hell, uh, got, uh, on Wall Street got, um, uh, uh-huh. and, uh, which is a story that is in, um, uh, in the Lost Files, another Bureau, uh, Tritax supplement where, uh, supposedly, uh, the, Great crash. Yeah. Um, uh, the crash on Wall Street. Uh, well, that's what led to the depression, but the, 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 the fall on Wall Street in 1929 was caused by someone basically sending him back to hell and all the things that he was doing just fell apart. And, uh, he was his fingers deep in a lot of pies and he was controlling a lot of things. And that all just turned to chaos and the whole market went into free fall and, and we ended up with a depression as a result. So, you know, usually if you go, if there's a high minister, you usually have to, you know, you usually can't attack them directly. So that can be like the big bad for an entire campaign if you want. Oh, yeah. What I, what I did with it, because I, when I did Bureau 13 OGL, when I led that, the, one of the things Rich had me do was you get to compile the timeline from all my sources put together. And I'm here, uh, page five, Bureau 13 OGL. Oh, that was a pain in the butt to do, too. Um, 1929, yeah. a high minister of hell banished from Wall Street with disastrous results. And so I actually use that, and I've used that for, you know, Team Candlestick 2.0 that I'm running the Saturday game that I have. Uh, yeah, just don't go and... It, it's an object lesson for the for new bureau agents of... There may be a reason why this monster, supernatural being, whatever is here. Make sure that you just taking it out of the equation doesn't cause a really bad power vacuum. And so my players are all here. Well, why is that? You know, they're asking me, you know, in on a character, why is that trap? So I bring up the whole thing about the high minister of hell on Wall Street. They're like, really? That's what happened? I said, yeah. And, and, and I'll have them come around and point out on the PDF, 1929. I was like, okay. So I've used that particular story as a way of teaching my players when you were doing a Bureau 13 game, make sure that you figure out that you can try to, because I've explained also other supernatural events and beings that they may fit the ecosystem. You know, like the vampire, yeah, you can take out drug dealers. You know, get your blood from them. That way then, you know, you're not harming innocents and you're also doing something good, you know. But yeah, the main, the High Minister from Hell is the main lesson that I teach my players about. Don't just wipe out a menace. Make sure that it's not going to have disastrous, you know, ripple effects. And it usually gets the message across because they do realize, yeah, Great Depression. Oh, crap. Okay. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> but no, uh, demons and devils are, are I, I do like using them and they do bring up the hierarchy in like Pathfinder, but also 3.5. Another good thing that D&D had 3035 was the Blood War. Bringing that to Earth is often a good, like, background kind of thing. Like, yeah, the demons and devils are duking it out there. You know, they've taken human form, and, you know, you can say, like, oh, they're, like, two separate gangs. And they're just, you know, it's a massive gang war in L.A. or whatever, or down in New Orleans or St. Louis, you know, where gang activity is well known, but it's the blood war brought to Earth. So that would be another good way to kind of bring in demons and devils into your game. As I said, the 3035 stuff has plenty of stuff like the Fiend Folio and all that. If you look through it, it tells all about the Blood War and all that. Right. So, and that's what I'm saying is there's a, there's actually a lot of material out there, but I know that people haven't used it. And I'm saying is that I really would encourage people to use it because this could be like 
you know, the one thing that I recommend against whenever you make any adventure, unless you're a really fledgling GM, is don't just make it monolithic. There's one monster. There's some information. There's like three or four things that go directly to the mo- to the monster, whatever it might be. And then you got the agents, and they go in, zips after they figure out a few things, it zips off, go fight, put it down, over. Let's break out the brewskis. Okay, you should. You should make it more complicated. Because first of all, powerful supernatural creatures attract other power, other supernatural creatures. They may be powerful, they may not be. All right, it's the same with mages. Mages, biggest problem with mages is that they, they attract other supernatural. So, you know, you're walking through an airport and all of a sudden, you know, uh, somebody's chihuahua, you know, uh, uh, suddenly goes, goes feral because it's actually, you know, uh, it's actually a were creature, <laughs> and but and it starts going crazy and doing stuff, and it's just because the mage is nearby. Well, demons and other types of supernatural are the same way; they just track them, and usually the you know, the more uh, powerful they are, the more they attract, and from further away. So that's also one reason why the, the which leads to a lot of adventures is where the bureau says we're getting more instances happening. You know, minor stuff that tells us that somewhere in there, there's something more powerful that's awakened or moved in or gotten their hands on something more powerful. You know, they they've somehow made themselves more of a concern for us. So now we're going to send a team in to go in and investigate it. So, so what I'm saying that is is that yes, you've got a big bad, but don't be afraid to throw in some other stuff. Don't be afraid to throw in some hell spawn. Don't be able, don't be afraid to throw in some uh, uh, the the vegetable goblins. I loved throwing in the vegetable goblins because they look like little uh, uh, ter- overturned uh, you know, bulls, okay, with 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 teeth and claws and and uh, they look you know most people would they it looks like you know a head of lettuce or something like that and um, and and someone goes and grabs a head of lettuce and all of a sudden this thing goes and snips them. And this thing's scuttling around. And you're like, "What the heck is that?" You know, and and uh, they can swarm on you and stuff, and you eradicate them. And people are like, "Where'd that come from?" I don't know. Something from Taiwan or or you know from Brazil. Who knows what's out there in those? We keep cutting back into the 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 into the Amazonian forest and uh, jungle. Who knows what stuff is in there we didn't know about? And it got itself into some boxes. Goblins, you know. Mm-hmm. Then, then there's the goblins that we're more familiar yeah. with, the humanoid goblins. Okay, those are completely yeah. different, and you can have and you can play with them too. You know, those are fun. Uh, but I'm just saying is that it's throw in extra stuff. You know, uh, one of the things that I think people really underestimate is the fey. Okay, you know, it's 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 funny. We 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 love elves. You know, we love you know. Uh, go- Brownies, fairies, sylphs, pixies, pixies. Thank yeah. you, pixies. All those things like that. And we're all like, you know, because in in England, there's a, a guy put a whole book out where he thought he was recording, you know, uh, early photography. He kept seeing these smudges, and he, he thought they were, you know, almost invisible fairies in the gardens. And he actually put out a whole picture book about them. Okay, well, in Bureau Thirteen, of course, that can be real. So fairies. One of the things that all Fae have is they have glamour. And glamour is basically illusion. The ability to look different than what you are. And so it's very easy for large groups of Fae to pose as humans or other types of animals. I mean, you know, maybe they don't want to hang around with human beings. Maybe they'd rather ha- go, you know, hang around some of the animals over at the uh, zoo. Or, uh, you know, especially if you have one of those big, you know, open-air zoos like Disney, you know, and you find out that some of the giraffe are actually some form of long-necked fae. You know, what looks like a small group of juveniles might actually be something else. Could be even some giants. But giants are not supposed to be fae, but it doesn't mean they can't be. Uh, the point is, is that you can add in a bunch more of these things. And, and sometimes they don't do anything except cause the agents to get really, really freaked out because they're like, I'm getting all this fey energy. What's it coming from? Well, it just happens to be there. It's not the big bad. 
It's not what you're searching for. It's just there to mess with you. <laughs> just a nice little red herring. And so they're running around like, yeah, they're running around like crazy trying to figure out where all the, you know, the magic. And, and of course, the magic, if you've got a good caster, the magic will also be a hidden, can be hide itself. So you can actually hide, so it doesn't get detected. It can be indetectable magic. So there can be fey, and they can be leaving residue like crazy, but you don't actually see them like, you know, hey, I'm using a sight spell. Oh, right over there is the fey. Okay. You know, if you have a mage, the people like to use them as like, you know, bang, bang, bang. You know, we they can see everything. So, uh, and, and usually if they do get seen like the fey, uh, it's by accident. You know, and someone let down their guard, um, much like the uh, uh, the story of the uh, uh, shoemaker and, and and the shoes. Oh and, yeah, and yeah, elves. yeah. You know that those have yeah. those have a lot of bad endings, and apparently the fae like they like to be paid or they like to do things, and uh, it's you know it, depending upon the story, you know sometimes the fae are very nasty, you know, uh, and sometimes they're just you know, uh, sad. It's like, we, you, you saw us, so we now we have to leave, and you don't gain our benefit anymore. Or, you know, you were a good man, and we were attracted. Or you left out milk for us, you know, like you're supposed to. And so we wanted to reward you in your time of need, but now you went and saw us, so now we have to leave. So that can happen, too. So you can have all these things mixed in with your adventures and uh, and not be the main adventure. So, that's what I'm saying. Give these, give these minor supernatural something that you wouldn't necessarily use as a major type thing, uh, as as the big bad. You know, add them in, add them in for flavor, add them in for variety, add them in just to mess with the players' minds. I mean, it's all good for you as the GM. If you're a player, okay, um, there, and you are in the summoning, you might be able to. To summon some of these creatures, even get them to help you. Um, you know, if you're, if there's a group of uh, gang members or something like that that are messing with some people, maybe you can cut a deal with a local tribe of Fey to uh, go and mess with those guys while you concentrate on the big bad. You know, and uh, because they they can be because the Fey can be invisible depending upon their type. They can cause people to have terrible dreams. They can cause them to uh, uh, do size alterations on them. All kinds of things can happen, you know. They can summon. That's kind of a, one of my rules for, for games is, like, if you're going to have what is essentially a red herring, it needs to at least end in what is could be a potential resource. Doesn't necessarily mean the players will will use it, but it could be used. So yeah, if you if you have like in that scenario, if you're chasing down a a, a, a werewolf in in the city, and you happen to find a, a a swarm of fairies in the local zoo, yeah, the fairies might not even be attached to the werewolf, but they could be a resource. They probably aren't. Yeah, yeah, they could be, or maybe you should just leave them alone once you discovered them. They're not hurting anybody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah. what. Because what happens is you get these people who will like drive around. You know they'll start they'll start at the the place of the incident and they'll start circling out further and further and further and they'll take days doing this, seeing if they can find any more hits on the Corellian detectors. And they might run into a small group of uh, of, of supernatural creatures that were attracted to the big bad. Like just like I said, they they might have come in from somewhere else. Uh, be, and uh, they and they might have some information, or they may just say, "Well, there was just something I knew it was here, and we and and uh, and, I, and it was calling to us, and so we came to see what it was, but we never found it. So we found this place to hang out. We we like staying there. So and you get then the agents have to decide: Are we going to make them leave? Are we going to say, "Fine, nobody else needs to know you're here," so just keep it on the down low, or hey, you know, you've got to help us now, or because you know you're part of this. I mean, that's those are options for the players now that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and you know, uh, uh, not everybody in the group of the fake group is probably going to want to work with the agents. So you might have a couple of ones that are being mischievous, you know, and trying to 
make the agents not want to do stuff with them, while others are being very, very helpful. And uh, I've done that a lot of times where there might be a couple people that were actually trying to work with the agents, but most of them just were like, you know, I think we could just get rid of them, on, you know, and not have to deal with this. And all of a sudden, there's some kind of a throwdown happens out of the middle of nowhere. And, and they're looking at the, the, the person they're negotiating with, and they're just like, you know, raising their hands going, ah, what can you do? <laughs> Kids, you know. <laughs> or old farts, you know. They're, they're 6,000 years old. I can't tell them what to do. You know, you know deep down what tradition, ju- just what tradition is. Peer pressure from dead people. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, is, is so, uh, Trav, is there another group that you think really should get more attention that oh, doesn't let's get see it? Here. Uh, well, we already did Demons and Devils, we did Faye, which. I, I, I can take or leave Faye. If, if I do them, if I use them, I use them merely as just, yeah, a, a, a sidetrack nuisance. I, it's never like, oh, there's the big, you know, the, what do they call it? The Sealy Court? Oh, they've got... Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't go that deep. It's like, yeah, there's a pixie, you know, messing with the ammo of the team. Now we got to get them out of the armor. You know, something small like that. Um... Yeah, you usually run into that sort of thing when you end up doing time travel. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like, we got to get back to the future. And they're like, well, if you do something for us, we'll let you stay within our, little, our, our realm for a while, and time will pass. But not for you, because you'll be with us. We'll just be having a party. How about you, Jonathan? Is there another one? You're, yeah, let, let him go you, first. I'm trying to think here. What kind of came to my mind, and I, was, I had to double check to make sure that it was something we'd already referenced, within uh, Bureau 13, and it is, the non-corporeal intelligences. Such as? Well, sentient entities that don't have bodies, but aren't necessarily angels or, well, but not even ghosts. Uh, They just, like, that's why it's kind of why I never saw them played in Bureau 13 before, is because, well, that's, yeah, because immediately you think, oh, that's a ghost, or that's an angel, or a demon, but the... The thing that got me rethinking them was when we did the SCP episode. I don't remember if we actually talked about it in that episode, but one of the common monsters in SCP is what's called the Pattern Screamer, which are typically portrayed as intelligences from the previous incarnation of the universe. Okay. So they're weird mixts of will and telekinetic power and... Reality bending abilities, uh, some usually quite insane by human standards, but that got me thinking. I would like to include that into my Bureau Thirteen because I've never seen. Because most of the time, it will look like something else when you first start investigating it. It'll look like a ghost, or it'll look like some sort of angelic or demonic um, manifestation. But as you dig deeper and deeper, you're like, oh no, it's something outside of all of those. And probably more dangerous. Well, how would you use them? That's where I I would probably have it be like because it, it, even in the in the OGL version of uh, Barrow Thirteen on on the listing we have for non corporeal intelligence, um, they're often mistaken for ghosts. I would have it be it looks like a ghost. It's uh, a possibly uh, poltergeist, fairly. Annoying, catching attention, so the Bureau sends out a team to investigate and see what it is, and they get drawn into this... I would... Honestly, I would probably play it almost from the start looking like a poltergeist. Uh, And my red herring would be a real ghost that actually is trapped there. It's not doing anything. It's just... can You know, it's just collateral damage. It's trapped near this warping of reality and will um how to get rid of it i haven't developed the idea that far yet but that is something i I would like to include is these i I just like i said like i like the idea of the pattern screamer from scp this it looks like a ghost it, it walks like a ghost it talks like a ghost but it ain't a ghost so it's not undead it's just yeah it's 
Exactly. It is it well if depending on your definition, it probably was alive once in again some previous incarnation of the universe before this one was created. <laughs> some shard of alternate reality or something like that. Cuz cuz they they sound an awful lot like purple monsters. Yeah, I think that was another inspiration for them. Yeah, they live in the dream state. Yeah. So like uh, you know, uh oh um Freddy. Freddy's a purple monster. Yeah, okay, yeah, living in the dream state of humanity, yeah. And sometimes they can, rarely, of course, as soon as you mention it, people always, it happens. But it says on very rare occasions, by the use of a a latent sigh, uh, they can be actually brought out into the real world. And, um, and And then they go out of control. And sometimes they, sometimes they go back to the dream state and sometimes they don't. And that's when they really become menaces because now they're just rutting amok. So, yeah. Oh, I've, I've got a really good OGL. And it, it, it's a game line. They, they, the, the guy did like about seven or eight supplements to it. It's called Dreamwalker. Uh, the art, the, the writer is, um, Peter Spann, S-P-A-H-N. And he, he changed companies a couple times throughout his incarnations of Dreamwalker D20. But they do a lot. It, it's all the, all the tropes that you can do about dream travel and things like Freddy and all that, he put in there. It's really something good to look into if you're doing Bureau 13 OGL and you want to do um, non-corporeal intelligences of a dream-based nature. And they even have like a campaign mono, and it's called... Um, it's been a while since I've looked at Guardians of the Real. Where you gain, the, you know, how you get, like, Fringeworthy as a free feat. For, for for this, you would gain Awakened, where for someone who can sense these dream entities and know how they affect reality and things like um, Astral Blights, which are, and Astral Bridges, which are portals to the dream world where dream stuff can come through and affect the real world. It, it's just a really good thing if you want to do dream stuff, that particular Dreamwalker D20. But yeah, Purple Monsters, yeah, I could see where that would be put in with the non-corporeal intelligences. I, I, I could see where people would... would yeah, okay. I think, yeah. Okay, so that's uh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot. Of, and they, uh, they had, in, in the Lost Files, they had this one thing, it was like the Black Cloud that would, like, grab people, and then sometimes he would drop them back out, you know, hundreds of miles from where they originally were, and sometimes they just never were seen again. You know, so, yeah, there's a, a bunch of things that are like that. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah it's something and I'd course, never used before, but then when I started reading at, at the SCP, I really right. like this. They, I mean, because it's one of the, like, types of creatures that features heavily on that site and i'm like oh that's an in- interesting idea oh that's an interesting idea right oh so and, i mean and the thing about the, these kinds of things is that you're going to have to be a little very much more creative about mm-hmm. banes or how to fight them because they're mm-hmm. not physical so you know it's if it's not intelligent then you know or you know not your kind of intelligence you can't reason with them so you you know usually it ends up coming down to where you either have to hide uh, the object of their uh, of their focus, uh, or you have to come up with some kind of a bane that's going to you know force you know repel it, and then maybe you can force it into some place where you can keep it locked up or somehow you know some cave, and you can put all kinds of mystic symbols around the front of it. And and that's the thing. I think this is where you can get really creative, where you can have your, your agents have to do the really weird stuff in order to solve the, save the day, so to speak. You know, it's, well, yeah, they could, you know, it's like say, well, if it was a normal poltergeist, you might try and bring in a priest to, to quell the, the poltergeist or find the, find out why the poltergeist is stuck around and, and resolve its unfinished business or whatever that might be with something like this. This is be where, all right, you need to find the seven crystals of Xyloth. Don't know what those are. Beck, you probably have to even just make it up. That's probably all you need to do is put imbue enough belief yeah. that these things are have power over it to actually have power over it. 
Who knows? Anyway. Right. Well, a lot, a lot of these things, you know, and that's, that's one of the problems for the fledgling GMs is the fact that a lot of these things that are listed here, there really isn't any kind of lore behind them. You know, they're actually going to have to make it up on their own, and that's a mm-hmm. real challenge for them. So, yep. uh, so that's why it's good to, like, you know, if you have – so, like, you know, say the SCP, because one of the things that it means uh, secure, control, protect – that's what SCP Foundation means. So in their write-ups of these kinds of creatures, they're going to talk about how they're able to be controlled, how they're able to be contained. And so that's that's very useful for a, a GM because half, half the work of the GM is going to be like, well, once the Asians find it, what are they going to do with it? So, and, and, and if you don't think far enough ahead, that's going to be a real problem. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so, and, and remember that we're, you know, if you do lock it up somewhere, unless it's going to be, it's, unless it's in another realm, another dimension, sooner or later someone's going to find it and release it. I mean, unless you lock it up inside someone's body, in which case they may die someday, you know, or something, you know, so it's going to be one of those things. All right, so I pulled up the page here for uh was a list of banes for these various creatures okay uh, the and like and one of the things that we're not going to talk about is because I think that that is one of the easiest things to do is the demonic artifacts that's number one in the list you know yeah <laughs> they're uh they're, those I mean we there's a whole television series called uh Friday the 13th which is all about finding demonic artifacts and, and yeah. locking them up Friday the 13th how, warehouse 13. You know, Warehouse 13s, lots of material there to work with. So, uh, don't be, and again, that can all, that's not, uh, that not, may not be, uh, it won't get attracted to a supernatural. It might be the other way around. You might have a demonic artifact, again, that's attracting something else that's causing a problem. You go in to solve the, the werewolf problem. And after you get that done, then they say, oh, you know, a month uh, a month later, he says, "Hey, we need to go back to to Harvard Town because something else is happening." And you're like, "Why is that?" He says, "There must be something else that you missed because something's being something's attracting the supernatural there." And then they have to go in and do a better job of it. So you know, you can, <laughs> so demonic artifacts again is it's powerful supernatural. It's going to attract other supernatural, and uh, just keep that in mind. Definitely a, a, a good a, like campaign idea for why you might be, and why the bureau might decide to put a, an embedded team in a city. All right, we've been getting reports yeah. from this place. You know, stuff has been happening here for like the past five years, and it just keeps increasing. We got to get a team on the ground, staying there full time to figure out what's going on. Right, and you know, as they go moving through the city, they may find more and more things that are getting triggered. They were completely quiescent, you know, or they were small time, but this is, you know, enhancing them or it's, 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 uh, you know, it's getting them out and about and causing trouble. And sometimes supernatural, when they rub against each other, can really get into trouble. So I don't think we need to talk about demonic possession because, again, that's a fairly common thing that's used in a lot of the television shows. And it, the thing starts off with um, uh, all that kind of stuff. We get to ogres and trolls, though, and there's uh, Tritech produced a. Uh, uh, I don't know which one it got collected in, but it was called uh, Ogre's Night Out. Uh, there was a, a, a an ogre beneath a bridge, and uh, it was like actually part of the superstructure of the bridge because it looked like a big giant rock. And every and for some reason it got woke up or something, and it started moving around the city and just started feeding on. Uh, the local uh, wildlife, uh, which was initially uh, dogs, cats, various things like, you know, uh, deer that might be coming in too far. Eventually that got, got a little scarce and it started, you know, you know, going after homeless people and, you know, other types of, of uh, marginalized people. Uh, all the while, you know, uh, you know, wanting to get, uh, wondering where all the goats went. Because, <laughs> you know, modern modern America doesn't have a whole lot of goats in comparison. So, uh, 
And uh, I'm trying. I think what eventually happened. Well, I'm not going to say because you guys might decide to go and buy that supplement. But uh, essentially, you're going to have to. If you decide to fight them, they're really tough because they're they're literally mostly rock. Uh, if they're, uh, uh, you can theoretically negotiate with them. In which case, you better be ready to pony up some some uh, goats uh, and. You know, ultimately, you probably want to get them relocated. So, uh, you know, it's it's a, a good in, introductory adventure because you know the the uh, the ogres are uh, and trolls they tend to uh, a singular. You know, they don't usually you don't find them in a pack, and b they tend to want to be by themselves and they'll just disappear for a while. If, if you're giving them a lot of trouble, they'll just basically hide themselves as a rock or something. And, you know, unless, you, and since they're natural supernatural, uh, unless they're using some kind of magical power uh, to do this, uh, you they may not leave any uh, residue uh, for you to find with a curling detector. Uh, you probably have to get up really close to them to be able to get a, a reading off of them. So, it's a, uh, it can be one of those things where you, you, you chase them off and then they may come back later. So, uh, ogres, by the way, are, uh, are more human, not human, uh, they're more humanoid-like in the sense that they've got bodies that are fleshy. Like I said, the trolls are the ones that are much more, uh, supernatural. Uh, they, it says here they prefer wet and damp areas like rivers, bridges, Things you know, it says there's a ten, there's a twenty five percent chance to stone them, so they're going to be nocturnal. Um, and I would say that the twenty five percent chance that you know would be like what? It's not like every time they go into the sun, there's a twenty five percent chance for them to turn to stone. It's probably more like there's only a, a one out of four actually has a really bad. It has to only go out at night, otherwise they would get turned to stone. The rest of them are fine. So. Anyways, uh, so trolls and ogres don't get a whole lot of attention because people are, are saying, well, how could they possibly hide? How could they, po-, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, we're going to end up getting into some kind of huge firefight with them. And you might. I mean, they, if they've get, gotten a taste for human flesh, there probably isn't, you know, most, yeah. most uh, people consider that to be the Rubicon where you just have to destroy them. It's up to you. Your your players may be different. They may say everybody should be offered a path of redemption, and and uh, give them that. But uh, I would say that if they are uh, flesh eaters, humans, human flesh eaters, that you're probably going to have to relocate them, and that's going to be a, 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 a an interesting session when you try to move, you know, these multi-ton creatures. <laughs> Someplace, because you probably don't want to just go walking somewhere. All right. <laughs> okay, so um, now one of the ones that I want to talk about is the man-made life. And the reason I want to talk about it is because TriTac produced a huge supplement for it. Um, and I don't know whether it was Hearts or it was in Bureau 13 Extreme, but they had essentially multiple uh, adventures all linked together with this creature that was essentially a Frankenstein monster. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, this has not gotten that much attention uh, because people have a tendency to always make them either say, either they go the direction of like bioengineered, where they're like super monster, super fast, you know, combat monster kind of thing. Or. They go the other route, which is they're a remnant of people tinkering, you know, with things that they should not have done. You know, perhaps a uh, a zombie that has gained uh, some semblance of life back, where they're actually are more alive than dead, and was a, a vestigial intelligence. You know, it's it's up to the players, but they I, I don't think they do it a whole lot, other than to say, you know, because this is a different. Uh, uh, this is a different category than uh, zombies, but it's written the way it's written uh, is as a joke, because it says the usual outcome of man creating a life form uh, the de- uh, from the dead is a hulking monstrosity with few morals and little common sense. 
They're often peeved at their creators who pulled them back from the afterlife. They're almost always hard to kill. Ignorant peasants and townspeople make a sport of hunting them. So I would say just take that and throw it away. They, this Tritac has made a, some really nice work. Richard did a lot of really good writing on that, and I would recommend going there instead because they uh, uh, they, they have some really interesting ideas uh, that actually harken uh, uh, back to the whole uh, 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 Friday the 13th, uh, the final chapter, where uh, Jason and his black blood and things like that come into play. This is uh, very much more along the lines of what um, Tritac went to. So uh, give that a try. Give that because that could be a lot. Of, uh, that that could be very interesting with that material. And they give you like at least three adventures that are all linked together. So again, a little mini arc, a little mini campaign for you uh, that you can really have some fun with. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for listening to us. We hope we give you some ideas about how to spice up your games. Oh, yeah. Maybe stretch out your wings a little bit. Try something more than the traditional, you know, vampire, werewolf, ghost, uh, you know, creature, um, you know, uh, mage, witch. Uh, zombie. Yeah. Zombie uh, kind of thing that seems to be the go-to for everybody. You know, stop pl- Stop basically running the same six stories. Instead, you know, try some some stuff. Bring in some local color. You know, do those things that make your campaign much more interesting, and your players will love you for it because, you know, that's what they're there for. They're there to have that kind of crazy, interesting time where they get to use their imagination. And I still remember, you know, J.P. Withers in the middle of an adventure looking at me and saying, I know exactly what's going on. It's mutant zombie clones from Mars, <laughs> and I and I and I looked at him and I said, "You could be right, JP. You could be right." <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll have more for you next week. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.